Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Amen. Great. Good. You can be seated. And, and uh, yeah, you know what's funny? We've, uh, we've got some volunteers that are here this morning, and I always I laughed a little bit. I said, this is the biggest attendance we've, like, by, by 10. <laughs> we, we've 10 times as many as we've had in the last uh, three months. So it's kind of exciting to have them here, and we look forward to, to being able to be together in these coming weeks. If you have your Bibles with you, would you take them and turn to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. In fact, I would tell you this passage looks almost a little it may not connect with you when we first read it, but it's going to, I think, by the end of the day, as we continue on a series that we've entitled Dear Abba, Dear Abba, we're, we're looking to our Heavenly Father for relational advice, and over these last number of weeks, we've been working through this. We've talked about conflict, and we've talked about that love covers over a multitude of sins. Love doesn't cover up, right? It doesn't cover up, it covers over, and it doesn't focus and rejoice in the failures of others. Last week, we talked about lots of grace, right? Lots of grace. We want to be incredibly generous as we give toward one another another on disputable matters. We're going to go a long ways toward being sacrificial toward one another. And then, uh, then this week, what I want to talk about is that love learns how to let go at the right time. Because there are times you have to kind of let go. And we're going to learn about that today. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. One of my favorite passages, or one of my favorite stories over the years, is a husband and wife that are laying in bed and the neighbor's dog is barking. And the dog is just going crazy. Just barking. I don't know what's going on. But he just, he's, they're so mad because they can't sleep. The dog's out there barking. They're looking at each other. I can't believe they're letting their dog bark like this. And so finally, uh, the guy gets up and says, that's it. It's like two in the morning. He goes, I, I, I'm taking care of this. And he goes down, and the wife is just waiting like 10, 15 minutes, and the dog barks even louder, and it's like the dog's even louder. And so finally, he comes back up into bed, and he says, I took care of it. And he, she said, well, the dog's still barking. What, what in the world? What would you do? He goes, I took the dog and put it in our yard so they can, I want to see how they like having the neighbor's dog bark all night. That was funnier in my brain. I kind of liked it when nobody was in here because I couldn't tell if it was funny or not. Anyway, sometimes we do things that we think are going to hurt others. As my dad used to say, don't cut off your nose to spite your face. It's this idea that, that we're going to do something and we think it's going to hurt someone else, but what it ends up doing is actually hurting us. The area of grace and the area of forgiveness, and we've done a lot of discussion about this over the years, and this whole area of forgiveness, that really is what we're talking about. Many times when we are trying to hurt other people for the harm that they've caused in our life, what we end up doing is actually causing harm to ourselves. Now, we, a couple of weeks ago, we worked out of a passage in Colossians chapter 3. And it said these words, which are said quite a few times in the New Testament, forgive as the Lord forgave you. The model for us to learn what it means to forgive in relationships is to model our forgiveness after how the Lord forgives us. And so we can even say that together. Say it with me. We're going to say, forgive as the Lord forgave me. Okay, let's say it. Ready? Forgive as the Lord forgave me. I want to forgive others the way that the Lord forgave me. And it struck me that maybe what we need to do is to slow down and just look at how God forgave us. And so if you go to, to Hebrews chapter 10, 
Hebrews chapter 10 is an incredible book of the Bible which is teaching about the sacrifices of the Lord and how he fulfills the Old Testament, uh, how, uh, the, old, the law, and how he brings about what God really wants to do in our life. And in chapter 10, he begins to talk about how when Christ forgives us, how completely he forgives us. And here's what it says, Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to begin in verse 15. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. This is the covenant that I will make with them. And after that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I'll write them on their minds. Now, so what he's saying there is there's going to be a time when my Holy Spirit is going to pour out and it's not going to be about following a written down law, but rather the Spirit of God is going to work in our hearts and he will be the one who is writing it on our hearts. In fact, that, by the way, we said today is the day of Pentecost. That's exactly what happened. The Holy Spirit pours out and he's now convicting and teaching and drawing individuals into relationship with Jesus Christ. Then he says this, and then he adds, their sins and their lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, the sins and the lawless acts, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Therefore, brothers, I assume sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way that is opened up for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. I love what he says after that even. He says, um, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Now, I'm going to say this again. He says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Now it's interesting, when you look down through that passage, you may not at first think that that really becomes a model for us in our relationships. And we all have different kinds of relationships. We have relationships with our spouse, we have relationships with our ex-spouse, we have relationships with our parents and our children, we have relationships with our coworkers, with our, with our church family, with our neighbors. We've got all kinds of relationships. But I gotta tell you, a common denominator over the years that I have noticed in our relationships is that one of the greatest hindrances to relational health is when we hold on to unforgiveness or when wounds happen in our life that seem to destroy that relationship. What's interesting is when I read down through this passage, there are three things that jump out to me as to how God forgave you. The first thing that I notice is that God chooses not to keep score anymore. It's not as if God has got a tabulation where he is simply writing down every sin that you've ever done and he's just going to keep on bringing that up to you again. Now, by the way, when we sin, that's exactly what's happening, right? Uh, in, fact, there, in fact, the Scripture indicates that if we don't have Christ as our Savior, when we get to heaven someday and we're standing at the white throne judgment, Scripture says those who are not in Christ, the books will be brought out. And I think that's exactly what's going to happen is we're going to see kind of the evidence against us. But when you come to Christ and he forgives you, it says their sins and their lawless acts I will remember no more. 
And it doesn't mean that, that, they, that he just forgets them. I think it's even more powerful. It means that he chooses not to remember them. People oftentimes will tell me, well, you know, when we forgive, one of the hardest things is we're supposed to forgive and forget. And I, I understand the sentiment behind that, but I want to tell you, I don't think that's accurate. Because let's just be honest, if you've gone through some atrocities in life, and, and there are different levels of woundedness, but it all hurts, right? There are things you're just not going to forget. God is omniscient. He knows everything. I don't think God magically forgets, but what he does do is even more powerful, is by an act of his will, he says, but I do choose to remember no more. It means I'm not going to hold that against you. Tammy and I, when we first got married, um, you may find this hard to believe. But every once in a while, I would, I would do things that would hurt her feelings. I know that's shocking to you. I'm just going to say something. I'm going to step out. I, I'm just gonna, if, you're, if you happen to be married, I'm just going to say this. Guys, sometimes we do stupid things. Can I get a testimony from the guys that are here today? Okay, let me get a testimony from their wives. Is that right? We, do, we don't mean to all the time. Sometimes we do dumb things. They just, we don't mean to hurt their feelings. So imagine I come home, I come into the kitchen, and I do something dumb because it, sometimes it only takes moments, right? And I say something, and Tammy, who is a great record keeper, by the way, she is meticulous, Tammy pulls out this little black book and she starts to write things down. And I, I look at her and I say, hey, what are, you, what are you doing there, sweetie? And she looks back at me and she says, Phil, do you realize that that is the fifth time this week that you have done something that has hurt me? And do you realize that is like the hundredth time since we've been married that you've done this? I'm like, what, what are you doing? She goes, I, I'm keeping score. I'm writing things down. And by the way, we've been married 32 years. She's on like volume 10. <laughs> now, I would look at her, and I say that in jest, I would look at her and go, that's crazy. Or you know what? Maybe that happens to me, right? Because it, it's not just women who hold on to things. Guys hold on to things. And so the same thing happens, and I know that we don't think you ever do, but sometimes, ladies, you do this. Or maybe it was your father, or maybe it was your mother, or maybe it was your grandparents, or maybe it's just some. But here's the deal. We can walk through life oftentimes keeping score. And can I just tell you, the more that you keep score, the more things you're going to put in the book. A number of years ago, probably 18, 19, 20 years ago now, I, I made this. In fact, this is not going to, for many of you, this is not going to be unfamiliar, but I keep this in my desk. This is Phil's uh, book of deep wounds and, in the case, and, and my big hurts. I keep all my big hurts and my deep wounds in here. And by the way, I have several of these books that are made. And this actually is kind of like a little ledger. It's kind of a pretty looking little book. Uh, and by the way, I'm so glad. I actually looked at it during first service. There's nothing written in it. I'm so glad because uh, one of them actually has something written in it. But um, it's just because I used a used book. And, and so it's amazing. Some people become, Scripture says, they become accountants when it comes to this whole thing of forgiveness. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's really interesting. We call it the love chapter. It says love or charity, as we looked at last week, is patient. It is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It doesn't mean love never gets angry. It's just not easily angered. 
It keeps no record of wrongs. It is an accounting word in the Greek. It literally means it does not keep a ledger. And we become ledger people in life. And the thing is, if you start holding on to the ledger book when you're young, you'll keep on holding on to this little thing. And it's amazing because once a person's in your book, it becomes much easier just to keep writing everything about them in that book. And I know that's normal. And I know that it's very natural. But that is not how God forgives us. When God forgives us, he says, I'm not going to take score anymore. It's his model of relational grace. Number two, the second thing that I see in this passage is that when God forgives, he not only doesn't keep score, is that love or grace chooses not to be demanding. Not to be demanding. Now, here's, here's the deal. God does not condition his grace upon our fulfilling a bunch of things. Look what he says. And where these have been forgiven. So he says, so he will remember them no more. Okay, he'll remember them no more. He chooses, he forgives. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. What is he saying? It means you don't have to keep paying for the same things over and over and over again. Now, you and I all know that there are consequences, right? And so sometimes when we hurt people or when we sin against God, there are ongoing consequences, and so it feels like we're constantly paying for it. A great example of this would be a person who does a crime, and it is a sin, obviously, and the person goes to prison. They may be forgiven of that sin by the Lord, but they're still going to do the time, right? And so there is that ongoing, so you feel like, oh, God hasn't forgiven me. Yeah, you know, we can be forgiven. There can be ongoing consequences. When we're working with some in relationship, it's not only important not to keep score, but as we begin to practice what God has done for us, it also means that I'm not going to keep making making them make payment for the same thing over and over again. Okay? Now, by the way, that is different than trust. Sometimes trust takes a long period of time, and you need to see consistency before you're willing to emotionally get close to that person again. Sometimes that takes time. And I would say this, the depth of the wound will indicate the length of time that is necessary for that to happen. But when I forgive, what I am not going to do is keep making them pay over and over again for the same thing. It'd be like punishing your child for something that you've already forgiven them for and then keep bringing it back up again. That's not God's model. And yet sometimes we struggle with that. So what does forgiveness look like? Well, forgiveness means... Forgiveness means that I'm not going to anticipate their faults and their failures. I'm not going to look for them to fail. I'm going to forgive them. And then if they mess up again, they're going to mess up again. But I'm not going to look for that. I'm not going to keep on reminding them of how they failed. i got to tell you, I've worked with a lot of people over the years. And it is interesting to me. And there have been times when I have looked at a spouse and they brought up something that they said they forgive them of that was 10 years earlier and they bring it up again every time they want to have ammunition. And I look and I say, you know what? You're not fighting fair. 
They'll never be able to undo this one. Because you just keep making them pay for the same thing over, even after they've asked for forgiveness, even after you said you've forgiven them, you're making them pay for this over and over again. That's not fair. That's not forgiveness. It means I'm not going to keep on reminding them, and by the way, I'm not going to keep rehearsing it in my own mind. This is hard. I will tell you it is the biggest step to working through forgiveness in your life is refusing to keep rehearsing the hurt over and over and over again. There has got to be, you are the only person who has control of the remote control. You are the only person who can control where your mind focuses. The Spirit of God will help you and God will enable you, but nobody else can do this for you. And so when we're working through forgiveness, it becomes an act of choice where I'm saying, Lord, I I am not going to keep rehearsing this in my mind. I refuse. Not only am I going to do that, but forgiveness says that I'm going, to, I'm going to quit making them pay over and over for the same thing. I'm, going to, I'm not going to require them to even ask before, they forgive, before I forgive them. I want to be a person in my life that is quick to forgive, even before they ask for it. Tammy and I process things differently. Um, I tend to process pretty quickly. Uh, I tend to get emotional pretty quickly. I tend to also get over things very quickly. It's just kind of, that tends to be. That's not always the case, but it tends to be. Tammy, uh, oftentimes it'll take a little bit a little more time. And um, it, it is not completely uh, unusual for Tammy to come to me three hours or a day after something has maybe happened, and she'll say, you know, I was thinking about this, that... Um, that what I did and what I said to you wasn't very kind. And by the way, I'm looking at her going, huh? <laughs> That's a natural look for most guys, huh? Uh, I, I, I didn't even know, she, I mean, it never even, never even, didn't even think anything about it. By the way, I have some folks who've done that at church. I have some folks who've contacted me a week later and said, you know what, I said this, I hope that wasn't it. Oh, I, and by the way, I appreciate how sensitive you are. I never thought anything of it. But one of the things I've tried to do is I'll often I'll say to Tammy, if it was something that stung, I'll just simply say, oh, honey, I forgave you as soon as that happened. Which is saying what? It's not that it didn't happen, and it's not that you're not right, but what happened was I let it go quickly. And she'll do the same thing with me. I'll go to her and say, honey, I was wrong. And she'll say, you know what? I already dealt with that. You don't have to wait for people to ask. In fact, if you have to wait for people to to ask to be forgiven, there are some people you'll never forgive, and they will continue to own you. God says, I want, I want you to know something. I'm, when I forgive you, I'm going to choose not to remember it. And when I forgive you, I'm not going to keep you having to keep paying it. Let me give you the last one. This is the hardest, way harder. God's grace chooses not to withhold love, which means that he actually invites us back into fellowship. Now look what it says here. Oh man, it just struck me when I saw this. To me, it's so powerful. He says, their sins and their lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sins. In other words, not gonna keep on paying for the same thing over and over. Therefore, what? Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance. When God forgives us, it comes with an invitation to come near again. And that's hard.
I will admit to you, I don't tend to hold on to a lot of things. I tend to be able to let go of things pretty quickly. But i got to be honest, there are some folks that I would rather not be near. And it's not that I'm mad at them, and it's not, it's just that it reopens that feeling again, right? I want to let you know that's really natural. It takes time. That is part of the healing process. But as we exercise grace, as we release, as we choose not to rehearse, there will come a time when the Spirit of God begins to open up the possibility of being able to have relationship again. And that takes time. That's where the trust factor comes in. And that's where you start to realize that it may come by slow freight train. David Siemens, I believe he was the author that said this. He says, forgiveness is a decision that you can make in a moment, but the emotions come by slow freight train. And the length of time is oftentimes connected to the depth of the wound. It can take some time. Some of you will remember this event. I can't believe it's been as long as it has. Back in 2006, October 2006, there was a school shooting at an Amish uh, schoolhouse in Pennsylvania. Do any of you remember that vaguely? I can't believe it's been 16 years. I, I, I went back and researched it this week, and I'm going, I can't believe it's been that long. Um, there, were, there were five children there were actually 10 children total that were in the building, uh, but there were five children that, that lost their lives that day. And 10 years after a reporter went back into the community and interviewed some of the families as to how they were coping. And if you're like me, one of the things that impacted me about that whole thing, it's kind of like the Charlotte, uh, the Charlotte church, church shooting as well. They, they evidence so much grace. I mean, the, the grace and the forgiveness uh, that was exhibited by the Amish community and by the Charlotte Church. I, I just was overwhelmed by, by the forgiveness they showed. The nation was almost shocked by how much forgiveness had been shown. And so this reporter interviewed uh, the Fisher family. The Fisher family, their oldest daughter, was the first one to die. Her name was Mary, and she was the first one to die in that shooting. And as they were interviewing the mom, her name is Linda, she said these words. She said, the decision by our community to forgive the killer and his family was not as simple as some have seen it to be. It is not a once and done thing. It's a process that takes a lifetime. We give it to the Lord, we release it, then something makes it flood back in, and then we release it. And something makes it flood back in. And it's really interesting what they said at the end of this article. And it really struck me. It said, the essence of the Amish life is about giving up. It's about giving up self to the community. It's about giving up ourself to God. It, how one dresses to the kind of work that a person does. The Amish life is shaped by the rituals of self-surrender. And it hadn't caught me until I read that. That's what happens when we forgive. We're surrendering our right 
to take revenge. And we're giving it to the Lord. It does not mean it didn't happen. It does not mean it didn't hurt. In fact, the opposite is true. In order to really process forgiveness in our life, we have to acknowledge that it did hurt, that it did happen, and that we have a right for that debt to be paid. But we make a choice that my freedom is worth more to me than my right to hold on to that thing that is is gripping me. I put it in your online notes. You're welcome to download them off of version or take a look at them throughout this week. But I just, processing forgiveness, there's no easy formula. But one of the things that I always think is important in any relationship is just ask myself, do I have a right to be angry? Because sometimes we're angry about something. We don't really have a right to be angry about. It wasn't really something that raised us to that level. And we just we let, need to let it go. Um, and then I ask myself, did I have a part in this? In other words, do I have to take some responsibility? You will find this. And I got to tell you, there's some, <laughs> I love the Lord. But I got to tell you, it seems like the Lord spends a lot more time working on my heart than he does anybody else's heart. I don't, have anybody even noticed that? Is that when it comes to this whole thing of relationships, God is way more pointed toward me than toward anybody else. I happen to think that when we come into services like this, the Lord is speaking way more to us than he is to anybody around us. But he's doing the same thing to them too, right? I have to ask myself, is there something I have to take responsibility? And then I want to make a decision that I want freedom. And then I, one of the things that I have worked through um, is just simply, Lord, I'm going to ask you to soften my heart toward this person. And I want to give you permission to do a work in me. And that's where that surrender thing comes in. And until you come to that point, you're not going to be able to forgive. It comes to a point of literally dying to myself and saying, Lord, I need you to do the work in my heart. And I want, as I release this to you, I want you to help me to forgive. I was reading a story not long ago of a guy by the name of Charlie, Charlie Steinmetz. I don't know, does that ring a bell to anybody? Charlie Steinmetz was a math genius and an electrical engineer who was a genius who was born in like 1860, 1864. Uh, unique individual. He was a dwarf. Uh, he was four foot three. He had a hunchback. He was, uh, he was in many ways, he was deformed. He had, a, he had a hip that was displaced. And because of that, he actually never married. Um, and, uh, but he was a genius nonetheless. And this guy was at the very forefront of electrical engineering and mathematician, et cetera. Um, he connected with Henry Ford. That, that's kind of why this all came together. And he built the first generator that powered the very first Ford plant in Dearborn, Michigan. And uh, the story goes is that the generator went down. It was, I think, the late teens. It might have been the early 20s, but, uh, but I think it was the late teens. And so in this first factory, this generator went down. And uh, they pulled in all kinds of uh, mechanical engineers and stuff to try to fix this generator. The plant's down. They're losing money. Nobody can fix it. So Henry Ford reaches out to Charlie Steinmetz, and he says, Charlie, I need you to come here and fix this machine. And so Charlie Steinmetz came in. They say he spent like two to three hours just kind of tinkering around and trying to figure things out, fixed 
the motor, the generator, and left, and everything got back up to going. And so about a week or so later, he sent the bill to Henry Ford, and the bill was $10,000. And Henry Ford was a little taken back that it was so much. And so he contacted Charlie Steinmetz, and he said, Charlie, he said, all you did was tinker around for like three hours $10,000 seems like a lot. Now, that seems like a lot today, right? But that was a lot over 100 years ago. And so Charlie Steinmetz said, I'll send you another bill. So he did. He sent him another bill. The second bill, this is what it said. For tinkering around on the motor for three hours, $10. For knowing where to tinker, $9,990. And he sent him the bill. And by the way, Henry Ford paid the bill. The Holy Spirit knows where to tinker. And this morning when I mentioned grace and I started to mention forgiveness, immediately, for some of you, a face popped up. For those of you who are at home, somebody came to mind immediately. Some of you tried to find a reason to go into the other room and go get some coffee. Some of you immediately started to resist in your spirit. Lord, don't speak to me about this person. And nothing I have said today means near as much as the Holy Spirit tinkering and saying, don't you think it's about time to let go. Don't you feel it's about time not to allow this person to every day own your life because of what you're holding on to toward them? And I understand as one who does a fairly significant amount of counseling. I don't believe there is a bigger issue in Christian lives and certainly in Christian relationships than this issue. But just as the Holy Spirit tinkers, He also heals, He also helps, He also comforts. And then he'll bring us along as we surrender to him. Let's pray. Lord, about as soon as Pastor Phil started talking about forgiveness, there was a face that came to mind. And it was, it was a situation, it was a particular area of woundedness or Maybe it was just a, a childhood or maybe a marriage. Maybe it said, every time I'm with this person, they make me feel a certain way. And Lord, I just relive it over and over, and I'm, I just I'm, I don't want to live that anymore. I've asked for your help in the past, but Lord, today I just want to surrender this area to you. And once again, I open my hands, and once again, I open my heart. 
And once again, I surrender to you. I don't want to hold on to this stuff. And so, Lord, I, I, I give it to you. And Holy Spirit, help me that when I am tempted to replay this thing back in my mind, remind me to push stop so that I don't live this thing over and over again. I give this to you. I ask for your healing. And Lord, even for this person, these people, this group, whoever it is, Lord, in your time, I want to be open to however it is you might want to restore something that looks like a relationship. Because I want to thank you for how you've forgiven me. And I want to model that forgiveness toward others. Thank you, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.